All right, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate that. I love the messages in those songs. I want you to open your Bible to the book of John in chapter number 4 today. John chapter 4. And uh, we'll be looking there in John chapter number and 4 and see what the Lord has for us today. John chapter 4. And in this setting of our text is very familiar story of Jesus and the woman at the well. She was, of course, a Samaritan. Jesus didn't have to go there. In fact, he went out of his way. Why? For one woman, the woman at the well. And we know that as a result of her witness and her testimony, many others came to know Christ as their Savior. But can I tell you, it may seem sometimes that, that God goes out of his way to reach people. And that that's you and I. Somebody said, well, why, why another church in, in Idaho? They asked me that when I came here, and the reality of the matter is for people, just individual people. I look out and see folks here that have been saved as a result of our work and ministry here and God's good grace. We've got people literally all over not only America, but around the world that, that have been through our ministry here and God moved them on to another place and some received Christ here and their lives were changed here and, and uh, it's a wonderful story. And so Jesus has dealt with the woman at the well and there's been some talk about thirsting and, 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 and things like that and the disciples are a little bit confused as, as they often were. Their minds go to a meal. Their minds go to food. Their minds go to whatever it is that perhaps he hasn't had to eat. And so they're going to address him on that. And, and they say in verse number 31, if you'll look there in John four thirty-one. in the meantime, or in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat that ye know not of. Therefore his disciples said one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say ye not, say not ye, that there are yet four months, and then cometh a harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Look with me, would you, in verse 34 again, for emphasis sake. And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings today. I pray that you would uh, speak to each and every heart. We're honored and grateful to be a part of this great family of friends that you've brought together. And we're reminded, Lord, that this church does not belong to us. We belong to it. It's your house. You are our Lord. And we pray that today you would receive honor and glory from everything that's said, dear God. I pray that um, you might be honored and that we might give you the praise. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. In 1901, George Hendy, who was a pretty prominent bicycle racer, prominent because uh, during his career he won 302 out of 309 races that he entered. And an apprentice watchmaker by the name of Oscar Hedstrom 
signed their names to the back of an envelope, and in doing so, they entered into business together. That day, the Indian Motorcycle Company was born. They got together and produced that first year two prototypes, and the next year they built 143, and then the third year they more than doubled that to 376. It didn't actually begin as a motorcycle. In fact, it wasn't called motorcycle. It was motorcycle. It began simply to provide a better pace vehicle for bicycle races. The ones that they had been using were actually being lapped by the bicycles. And so they decided that they had to have something that could keep pace with them. And so that was the beginning of what became, in our, in our country, the motorcycle craze. People saw it and wheels began to turn, and especially in the, in the minds of Hindi and Hedstrom, that this could be something that was a viable means of transportation and People could actually use it to get from place to place. And so the idea uh, caught traction and, and um, it, began to, it began, to, um, began to be a, uh, something that the public was very, very much interested in. Those early years, it was different than it is today. It looked much like a bike. It was pedal started. The oil was hand pumped to the engine and then flung out on the ground uh, due to the blessing of gravity. It, it, was, uh, uh, it had rigid frames, so it wasn't something very comfortable on, no real suspension on it whatsoever. And, and, and that was the beginning of, of what we have today. 1906, uh, Indian began building their bikes in a 74,000 foot, uh, square foot uh, manufacturing plant in Springfield, Massachusetts that they call the Wigwam. And so it became, it became quite, a, quite a deal for them. In 1913, they sold 32,000 bikes and, and made a profit of $1.3 million, which was an enormous amount in those days, especially for a startup business. But of course, as everything does, every vision, every, every uh, step out of faith, so to speak. There's always a challenge. An Indian motorcycle company faced their biggest challenge to date. That was the Ford, the Ford company. Their their assembly line that Henry Ford had started uh, just began to push cars out at an alarming rate for them, for Indian. When you first started with that in 1909, a Model T cost $825. By the time 1960 rolled around, you could buy one for $345. And so in 1916, a car cost less than a motorcycle did, which was $375. And so now, here's a vehicle more practical and, and uh, can carry more people, and you can actually buy it cheaper. And so Ford sold half a million, and Indian sold 22000 And they were facing a challenge. So what they decided to do was... Rather than compete with them on a number size, they would, they, would, uh, they would increase the quality of what they were doing. Now, stay with me. You know I like talking about Indians, but that's not what I'm here to do today. So I want you to stay with me. 
they, they started improving the motorcycle. They, they realized that they had to have something besides a pedal start, and ultimately they, they, they left the rigid diamond frame and went to the loop frame. They added two and three gear transmissions and the ability to kickstart the engine. And so they, they began to improve the durability and the engine quality, and the factory in Springfield grew from 74,000 square feet to 400,000 square feet, and, and the future looked very, very bright for them. And in fact, Indian was known at that time absolutely without any, without any real competition in those early years as the best motorcycle in the world. And boy, did the future look bright. Projections were that by 1919... They would sell in excess of 60,000 motorcycles. That was staggering when you thought about it. But you know what I learned hunting in Georgia? I learned that deer tracks make thin soup. And so potential and predictions don't always go hand to hand. And in 1913, Oscar Hedstrom retired. And a few years after that, George Hendy followed. And now Indian, the company, is without their visionary founders. The men that had the vision, the men that saw this pace bicycle as, as something that could get people from city to city and, and, and uh, carry them to work and other places, those men now were no longer guiding the industry. And the man that they turned it over to was actually the head of, of, of two electric companies and was so busy that he couldn't run it. So he handed the working, working everyday planning to the, the treasurer. He reported to a board, and in that board, none of the men were motorcycle enthusiasts. All they saw Indian as was a, was a manufacturer that could turn out big products for other people. And so they, they started diversifying. They started building in their plant shock absorbers for cars for another company. They started building outboard motors for boats for another company. They even, they even developed what they considered a better refrigerator that never came to production. And so because of, of the distraction of the new leadership, They forgot their mission. Indian forgot that they had one mission and one mission only, and that was to build the best motorcycle in the world. And because of that, the quality of their core product, motorcycles, suffered, and the customer service that people had grown to love around America began to diminish and and uh, it, it, it was a company adrift, and, and they had a few year, good years ahead of them, World War II, especially World War I, but India never recovered. They never recovered from the loss of vision until April of 2011 when Polaris bought them and brought Indian to where they are today got them on back, back on track in producing more than anything else motorcycles. Now, in our text, Jesus said this, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. 
what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying to them, uh, this is my mission. This is my purpose. This is why I'm here. This is why I came. I came to do the will of my Father that sent me, and I came to finish the work that he has given me to do, and and, and he didn't allow the times of popularity. And they, there was a segment of his ministry where Jesus rode the wave, if I could say it that way, of popularity. People just came out by the masses to hear him speak. And just a short handful of months later, they're wanting to crucify him. The very people that followed him into the Galilean uh, wilderness Those were the people oftentimes that called his name and crucified him. In fact, they turned their back and walked away, and they said, that's a hard saying. I didn't come here here for a Savior that would be crucified. I came for somebody that would rescue me from the shackles of Roman oppression. Jesus did not allow that to veer him from his mission. He never got off course. He never veered from why he was here. And and, and those even that were closest to him, these disciples that we read about in John 4, they they call for a right now kingdom. I'm not talking about millennial kingdom. I'm not talking about when Jesus comes back. They wanted a kingdom right now. We want deliverance now. We want you to set up your throne now. We want to defeat the Romans now. We want our land back now. We want to be respected now. We want our rights now. And and, and that that was their hope. And yet he never lost sight of his purpose. He had come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to listen to me. Jesus Christ kept the main thing, the main thing. And and I would suggest to you that if there is a danger for South Valley, and if there's a if, if there's things that are going on, trend in our world, it would be that we're, we're, we're missing the main thing. No, 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 look at me. This is no time to try to build a better refrigerator. This is no time to diversify from the calling and the purpose that God has given us as a church. This is no time. This is no time to try this or no time to try that. This is the time. If there's ever been a time, this is the time that we keep the main thing, the main thing. And that we do what God has called us to do. It's easy to become distracted, especially in the day and age in which we live. And, and, and may I say this to you, may I say this to you, that it's not always that the main thing is replaced by something that's, that's hideous and, and, and degenerate. It's, it's, not that we, it's not that we pursue sinful things. It's not that we go so far off course that, that nobody even recognizes that we're a church. That's not the danger. Oftentimes, oftentimes the main thing is replaced by something that seems logical and good. We might become enamored with things that are faddish and things that are, 
are, are trendy and, and we, can, we can, like a dog chasing his tail that never can catch it, we can jump in and go in the great circle of chasing all things that, that, that come our way. And so we become changeable and movable. And we sacrifice sometimes so much when we do that. Maybe it is that we're so tired of the, of the cancel culture and the atmosphere in, in, in which our world seems to have embraced and, and the totalitarianism that aborts children and seeks to silence our freedom of speech that our Sunday messages become simply a weekly tirade against the things we don't like in the political world. Now, I'm going to just tell you the honest truth. The most important thing in the world is not what goes on the, the political arena. And, and you understand where I'm at on that, and you understand how, how I take my stand on those things. The most important thing in the world is what happens between people and their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to just tell you right now, look at me. Satan does not care wow or how or why he can distract us. He just wants to get us distracted. doesn't matter. Good, bad, ugly, in between. He doesn't care if you go off the deep end. He doesn't care if you go off the right end. Satan doesn't care why he gets the church off course. He just wants to get us off course. So we can become involved in all sorts of different things that, that, that causes us to lose sight of our core calling and, and, and our need to stand for truth and to reach a lost and dying world with the truth of the gospel. I'm going to say it again, going back to my illustration. This is no time to build a better refrigerator. In a world that has been rocked with pandemic and we've become familiar with social distancing and facial mask and, and, and vaccines. There's so many things that were not a part of our vocabulary in our world this time last year. It's very easy for us to get caught up in all of that. And the world is on a fast track to hell. And, and we have to realize that the reason 15 years ago we stood in a building not far from here and wondered if anybody would walk through the door. The reason God put us here, the reason God, and I'm talking about all of us, all of us, this isn't a herring work, this is a God work. This is a work of God. Without God, we, nor you, nor anybody could do anything here. The whole reason we came from Georgia here is because of God. The whole reason you came here is because of God. And, and, and the reason God planted South Valley Baptist Church here in Cuna, Idaho, is so that we could tell the truth of his love to a world, a community that's going to hell. I don't ever want us to lose sight of what the main thing is. Now, let, let me give you some reasons why. Number one, the world is still drenched in darkness. Now, I, I, don't think, I don't think anybody's sitting there saying, Dude, did you hear that? Pastor Dean just laid an amazing truth on us. The world in which we live is dark. Can you believe that? It's dark. 
What'd you learn today in church? We live in a dark world. No, no. But, 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 but I think we have to keep that before us because it, it, it helps us realize our responsibility. John chapter 1. Would you go there? John chapter 1. Open your Bibles to John chapter number 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in darkness. And what happened? The darkness comprehended it not. Can I tell you this? Can I tell you that the world was dark in Jesus' day, and it's dark today? Hey, listen, listen. I don't care what the news says. I'm not talking about what's going on in D.C. I'm not talking about what's going on around the world. It was dark then. We, We act like sometimes, dude, the world's really gotten dark. No, it's always been dark. No, there's been different customs and there's been different cultural acceptances. And I know things are getting worse. And by the way, didn't the Bible tell us it was going to? Why, why are we Bible-believing Christians? Why are we shocked when exactly what the Bible said is going to happen is happening? And we're like, Shazam, man, I can't believe this is happening. The book said it. The book said it was. It's not going to get better. Well, that's encouraging, Scott. Think about that. What'd you get at church today? Pastor said things are getting worse. <laughs> it ain't getting better. That's an encouraging thing. No, no. Look, look, listen, I'm so happy. Here's the reason why. Jesus took my burdens all away. I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. Some of y'all better quit. You better quit smoking, Fox News. You better, you better get off your drugs a little bit. No, no, I'm not. Listen, I watch the news 30 seconds a day. No, really. I, I look, I read some headlines and all, but I'm not overdosing because the reality is this. A lot of those people that are giving us our news, they're not saved. And so they can't frame everything. Listen, he's coming back. Jesus is coming back. They can do whatever they want to, Brother Joe, in Washington, D.C., because there's a day Jesus is sitting on the throne. And listen to me, they ain't going to do anything to him. He's going to set the laws, and he's going to rule the world with a rod of iron, the Bible said. And, and it's not going to have to pass through any committee of any government anywhere in the world. So, so here's the deal. I can look at all of that, and I can say, boy, it's really rough right now. But guess what? It's going to get better one day because Christ is coming back, and God is in control. The world is a place of darkness, and it's got a grip on people. The darkness of the power has a power over the lives of men. Jesus said unto the chief priests in Luke chapter 22, he said to them, uh, in that chapter, he, he said, um, Why come ye out as against a thief with swords and with staves? While I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched no hand against me. And this he said, But this is your hour. He's pointing to the men that came to get him in the garden. This is your hour and the power of darkness. Can I tell you this? Listen to me. <laughs> this world, this is their hour. This is their hour. And the power of darkness, it has a grip on men. But it ain't always going to be their hour. And they're going to find out that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
And they're going to find out a power that they cannot even comprehend. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Hey, look at me. the people you're so angry with, it's not really them. There is a power on the other side of them. You understand that? All the wickedness. Do you realize that in all reality, this world is a, it's a conglomeration of victims The serpent that slithered his way into the Garden of Eden has been lying and duping to men and damning their souls to hell and leading them to bad choices and down dark paths to nothingness ever since that day. Can I tell you this, dear friend? Listen to me. You can slap your neighbor. You can can curse whoever you want to in the world. You can point your finger. You can get angry. But behind it all, there's a power. There's a principality. There are rulers of the darkness of this world that you cannot see that have been working in our world ever since. And yet I love Colossians 1.13 because it's t- it talks about you and me. We, we, we were once there. We were once there. And it says, talking about Jesus, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Jeff and Kayla, raise your hand back there. Here's Jeff and Kayla. You know what, I remember I was just thinking earlier, Jeff, when I saw y'all walk in uh, that afternoon sitting in the living room at my house when Jeff and Kayla Moss were delivered from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Where were you? What happened in your life when you were saved? You were, you were once a part of the darkness of this world. And, and I could go on about I could give you statistics about abortion and pornography and child trafficking. It's unbelievable and ungodly drugs and, 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 and alcohol addiction. How our nation has gone stark raving mad and, 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 and people claim to be woke and yet they're asleep, they're dead in their trespasses and sin. We live such a facade There's so much hypocrisy in this world today, it's unbelievable. People claiming one thing and living totally the other. Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr., wrote one of the greatest articles. I posted it on my, on my Facebook page, an br- absolutely brilliant article about all of, the, all of the crying and all of the yelling and all of the talking about which lives matter and nobody says anything about the life of the unborn child. And particularly in minority neighborhoods and groups. You ought to read her article. It's astounding. First Timothy 3.15, but if I tarry long, Paul said to Timothy, if, if I can't make it in time that thou mightest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, then he makes a statement, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And can I tell you this, dear friend, look at me. This is no time to almost say something. This is no time to lose our voice. This is no time to allow the cancel culture. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Listen, 
You know, people say, well, I don't, I don't you know, I, I, I think you get a little too rough or you shouldn't address this subject. No, if it's in the Bible, I'm going to address it. I'm going to address, if it's biblical, let me tell you this. Abortion is not political. It's scriptural. The way that people live their lives. You know, we, we can't even preach against sin. We can't, we can't talk about lifestyles that lead people away from God. Listen. We cannot surrender our voice. We cannot be embracing the sounds of silence when we're in a world that is dying and desperate for the truth. We have to keep the main thing, the main thing. I came to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, If the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? And I'm afraid that the curse of the church today is that we're hearing uncertain sounds that lead, lead uh, people nowhere. They have no direction. There's no truth. And we're bringing our children up in churches sometimes that, that where they, they do not learn the Word of God. They can take a craft home, but they don't know the Bible, and they, they don't have direction in their life. We've got to get back to being the pillar and the ground of the truth. And when we give people truth, listen, we're not here to entertain people or make them feel good about themselves. No, no, no. When we give people truth, do you know what that does for them? It sets them free. If a man comes to church shackled and he feels good about himself and he goes home shackled by the very thing he was shackled with, what good has it done him to go to church? You've got to hand people truth because truth is the key that unlocks the shackles in their life. Got to get back to that. The world is still drenched in darkness. Number two, people are still going to hell. Fifteen years ago, we held our first service. <laughs> if, you notice, if you notice in our Get Acquainted service, for those of you that were there and a part of that, there were four Mormon elders that sat on the back. They came in and offered to help us out, and they sat back there. And so I thought, boom, look what God brought in. And so we just gave them the gospel in that Get Acquainted meeting. We just gave them the gospel. Right there. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. Then that Sunday morning, that next Sunday morning, we, we had that, just that refreshment meeting on Thursday night. We served Amy, I think, cooked some stuff because we knew if they ate Amy's cooking, they would be back. And so that next, that next Sunday, we had, we had 43 people that came and six people trusted Christ many of whom are still my friends to this day. And we preached a message called False Hopes of Heaven because some people think that they can, uh, they're trusting their works to get them to heaven, yet it's, it's for, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Some people think they can talk their way to heaven, yet Matthew 7 says, Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Some people uh, think that they can uh, live a genuinely good human life, and because they're good people, they're automatically saved. But Titus Chapter 3 and verse number 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. You don't get to, re to choose the requirements for heaven. You can keep every Sabbath day for the rest of your life and die and go to hell. You can attend every Baptist church in the entire Northwest and die and go to hell. You can be baptized by a Baptist preacher in a Baptist church in a Baptist baptistry and get Baptist waterlogged and die and go to hell.
Because that's not what it's all about. You see, the reality of the matter, it's, it's, it's Jesus and, and, and Jesus alone, and it's God's heaven. So we don't get to choose the requirements God does. And this is what he said. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. What if he's good? The wrath of God abideth on him. What if he's baptized? The wrath of God abideth on him. What if he goes to church every Sunday? The wrath of God abideth on him. What if he keeps the Sabbath? The wrath of God abideth on him. No, no. The only way the wrath of God doesn't abide on you is if you hath the Son. He that hath the Son hath everlasting life. 1 John 5, 11, and this is the record that God gave, hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. John, John chapter 3, verse 7, marvel not that I saith unto you, ye must be born again. Being born, it's, it's, an, it's a time. Somebody said, Brother Dane, when were you born? Well, I've always been born. No, I, I, but when's your birthday? No, I've always been, I've always been dinged. What was the day you were born on? Get your pens out. August 30th. Let me write that down. 19, none of your business. Anyhow, no, 1955. That was my birthday. I was born that day. Okay? So you can't always have been a Christian. How long have you been a Christian? I've always been a Christian. No, when were you born again? That's why Jesus used that illustration. When were you born again? What was the time? You don't have to know the day. You just have to know that, that there was a day and a time in your life. You may not remember exactly the exact date, but when did you stop your life and ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? It's not going to church. It's not being baptized. It's trusting Christ. Third of all, third of all, we have to keep the main thing the main thing because we're still the light of the world. Jesus said in John 9 verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Then in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, he talks to his men before he leaves, those disciples, and he said to the, unto them, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and give a light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your Father, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Notice what he said there. He said, a city, that's a corporate that's a corporate witness. So, so you know what that's saying to us? We've come together voluntarily to form South Valley Baptist Church. Corporately, we ought to have a light. If you go to a football stadium at night, if you go to a football stadium at night, you know where the lights shine? They shine on the field because everybody's watches what's going on in the stadium. We're not a stadium, we're a church. We don't need light shining within. We need our light shining without. We're not trying to impress each other. Well, look at me. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm something else, ain't I? Jerry Garcia tie. Top two buttons buttoned. How about that, Michael, ma'am? My sister, my baby sister told me the other day she didn't like most of my ties. Anyhow, that was a, I'm getting over it. It's taking me a while. Not that I care. It's just that I'm, I'm disappointed in her taste in ties. I thought, man, mama raised her better than that. Anyhow, I'm not sure my wife likes them. But, but let's get, just, I'm getting off the main thing here. Now, 
No, here's the, here's the reality of it. We're not here to try to impress each other. We're not dressing to impress each other. We're not trying to show off our standards, show off why we, how we live. Look, look at me, I'm spit-shined. I'm polished. I'm a polished Christian. That's called Phariseeism. We don't come to shine our light inside. We've already got light. The Bible said, let, listen, let your light so shine. He gives the illustration of the home, and then he talks about the individual. Like, by the way, if your light's not shining in your home, it doesn't matter if it shines at church. What do you do? You take a candle in a house. You don't put it under a bushel. You put it up on a candlestick. Why? So it gives light unto all that are in the house. Can I ask you this question? Does your family see your light? Do your children see your light? Does your mate see your life? Are you shining your light to those closest to you? And, and then you put it on a candlestick. Why? So that, so that what, do, what do you do? So you light a candle. Everybody gets around and says, dude, that's a candle. You see that? Everybody's gathered around, the whole family. Look at that flame. That's amazing. Have you ever seen a flame like that? That's an amazing, that's not why you light a candle. You light a candle so that it illuminates something else in the house. The reason our light is to shine is not so that people can stare at us. It's so that others may see our good works and glorify our Father. Look, look, we would see Jesus. That's our motto for the year. We would see Jesus. We want the world to see Christ in us, on the job, in the neighborhood where your kids play soccer or basketball or football. You're at the PTF, PTA, whatever they call it, wherever you're at, that people could see Jesus in us. I just want to say this, and I'm going to close with my last point, but listen to me. In a world that literally has changed like none of us ever saw. We, we knew the change was coming, but we did not know it would be this radical and this fast. If there has ever been a day when the world needs to see our light shine, it's this day. It's this day. It's just this day. People are depressed. They're griping. They're complaining. They're bickering. They're fighting. You can't even go to the green belt and smile at people. They look at you like you're going to heist them. It's a crazy world. But what they need to see more than anything is the light of God shining through us. Last of all, and I close with this, and that's just simple. Why do we keep the main thing the main thing? Because the great commission is still our great mission. Matthew chapter 28, Go ye therefore into all the world. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Luke chapter 4, 24, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. The first two letters of the gospel is G-O, go. Matthew 28, go. Luke chapter 14, go. 
Jesus hasn't called us to be a y'all come church. He's called us to be a go ye church. I want you to listen to me. I don't know how much time we've got left. I'm here celebrating and just so thrilled for 15 great years of my life. Such privileged years. I, I don't know. I hope I live a long time. You know? But I don't know. I don't know how much time I got left. I don't know how much time we've got left. I don't know when Christ is coming back. But I do know this. I, I do know that if we're going to do what God's called us to do, we have to keep the main thing the main thing. And we've got to reach people. Listen, dear friend, look, look, I'm not talking about a program. I'm not talking about a set time even, though we're going to have those. I'm talking about us being aware of the fact that in our life, the main thing has to be the main thing. We've got to share the love of God with people in the truth of his deliverance for the, through the gospel of Christ on Calvary's tree. We can't ever stop and try to build a better refrigerator. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that? wonder where you are in your life. Have you, have you gotten distracted? What kind of witness have you been? We can get so wrapped up and so distracted in all of the issues and all of the things that grab the headlines that we can forget that our headline is Jesus saved. That's our headline. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. Jesus saved sinners. Let's get back. Let's stay focused. Let's don't ever drift. Don't veer from keeping the main thing as the main thing. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to be able to take a Bible. We'll, we'll, we'll get you into a private room where we can just sit down with you and show you from the Scriptures how that Jesus died for your sins and made a way for you to go to heaven. Nobody has to go to hell. And if you do, you're a trespasser. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for man. God gave his son for us. Let us take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're saved. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the honor of being uh, a part of what you're doing here in this church, in this community. We're grateful. And we pray that you'll bless us now, Lord, and use us as only you can have your way and will in all of our lives and use us for your glory. I pray that you would give us many, many more years together as we serve you, as we keep the main thing, the main thing. We'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.